the problem with iteration, especially if you're doing hyper-creative things, leveraging the minds of creative people is that creatives don't want to do iterations. It's like the worst thing that you could ever ask them to do. Snackable content from brand builders. E-commerce and growth marketing leaders. Giving you actionable insights you can apply today. Bite-sized podcast. With Daniel James. So for anybody who's been listening to Bite Size for some time, creative being the variable is a statement largely agreed upon by myself and most of my guests, whether that's a brand founder or a marketer. And let's break down what effective marketing is. It's images, videos, copy, structured in a way to drive an action. To develop a creative that drives action, you have to understand creative performance and use that as a feedback loop into your creative strategy, your media buying, your creative optimization teams. At Fly Performance, we use Motion. So Motion is a creative reporting platform that visualizes creative performance and uses really easy to understand metrics that are mapped to the consumer funnel. So from thumb stop ratio to ROAS, making it so easy to understand not just performance, but where you need to optimize. Not only that, it's a huge time saver. We estimated that since using Motion across the agency, we've saved our teams two days a week from manual data pools, allowing them to test and analyze creative far more efficiently and get winning creatives and really help drive performance. Creative is the variable. What's up, Zach? Welcome to Bite Sized. How's it going, man? I appreciate you uh, appreciating your time to, to have me on. No, of course. Thank you for making time. We've been connected for some time now through through your various ventures. But for anybody who who doesn't know you, tell me your your five minute kind of career story, where it started, and and what you're currently doing now. So yeah, like I started off as like a videographer, like graphic designer, just like to make things with a computer. Um, I started that when I was like I was like 16 years old when I. Had, like found the Adobe suite and I thought it was like the most magical thing in the world that like I could just like make things and I would, you know, I'd find like I was really into like BMX biking at the time. And so I would find like old BMX ads and like try to recreate them in Photoshop with like photos of my friends and things like that. And then I had like a pretty bad accident, like shattered my leg in like a ton of, like, I can't even remember how many places, like tons of screws. And so like, I was like a 16 year old kid. I had all the time in the world, like the first week of summer to just like be in my house and not see my friends. And I learned like, out of like the entire Adobe suite and started like freelancing in high school. I left high school thinking I wanted to be a documentary filmmaker, moved to Toronto, which is the, the closest kind of big city to my hometown, went to university, uh, only lasted around two years before I was like, okay, this really isn't for me. And I did like a bunch of random stuff. Like I, I had like a stint where I was developing like iOS apps. Like we developed like with like the most insane clients ever, just like I met this guy who was like a male stripper at my gym and like we built them an app because they couldn't run Facebook ads. They wanted to send like push notifications when they're in certain cities. And like, and so I just did a lot of freelance projects like web design, some videography stuff. And then I met a guy that was like doing drop shipping. And I was like, okay, like in the same way that I thought that like the Adobe speed was magical, I'm like, this is fucking magic. And so like, that's what got me into like the whole marketing space. We scaled like a couple brands. Um, one of them kind of like was my thing for like two years. It was called Nomadic Fabrics. We sold like Bohemian Home Decor and Wall Art and things like that. Sold that in 2021. Um, yeah, summer of 2021. And at the end of that, I wanted to separate from that partner um, and do my own thing again. And we were doing a little bit of agency stuff. And so I bought him out of the agency. I let him take all, pretty much all the money from like the sale of the Shopify store and started playing around like new app ideas, found like the Twitter community. 
Um, got introduced to Triple Whale and like was like a really early contributor there. Like I think we were like six or seven people when I started just making stuff with them. And I've just built Foreplay at the same time as I was at Triple Whale for like the last like two years. As of like four months ago, I'm full in on Foreplay now. Learned a ton doing both of those things. One of them, you know, Foreplay's fully bootstrapped. Triple Whale, you know, ventured back like rocket ship startup and learned like an incredible amount um, while doing both of those simultaneously. Um, and now, yeah, just building foreplay. Like our, our mission is to build the complete winning ad workflow um, for brands running on Facebook and TikTok advertising, creative constraints and, and like all the constraints that happen with trying to opera, operationalize creative for performance marketing is like annoying. And so we started as like a simple tool to save ads for Facebook ad library. And we're, you know, we're growing into something that is like at a core piece of creative strategists and media buyers and, and performance marketers kind of like workflow and, and generating new ad creative. And I'm like, super happy with where we're at. A lot of the brands that use us were like the brands that I used when like mocking up the first version of the website of like our logo banner before we had any customers. And like a lot of those have come true. And so, yeah, I'm super excited about what we're building and and uh, it's been it's been a ton of fun. Amazing, man. That's a that's a really, a really stacked kind of career history. So from your own thing, then drop shipping, you know, getting your hands really dirty on the brand side, then like you said, a venture backed, e-commerce kind of SaaS solution agency now into your own bootstrap SaaS solution. I guess there's so much to unpack in that actually. Like what's been the most enjoyable? By far what I'm doing like right now, building a bootstrap SaaS company with like customers that actually use your product. They actually want your product. I had spent a lot of time, even be like before Triple Whale, you know, doing like some UI design work for like apps that nobody wanted. And it always felt like so meaningless. And now knowing that like when we're working on the app, that like it's actually going to be used by people and like potentially save people time and like let them do it. But like, it's just like an incredibly like rewarding thing that's like on a cycle. and. So yeah, this is definitely by far the most enjoyable. I feel like it's the most like centered with like who I am. Like I love advertising. I love creative. I love empowering creative people. And whereas like the dropshipping thing, like we were selling plant hangers to women in middle America, like there's no personal connection with that. Right. And so this is the first time where I was like, I'm making something that I wanted um, for people that want it. And it's, it's great. Amazing. And correct me if I'm wrong, but so foreplay started as an agency, right? And then transitioned into being a SaaS company. What sparked the change? Um, and you kind of just touched upon it a little bit there, but like what, what sparked the change and what's some of the differences, right? From going from operating a service-based agency business into a, a, a SaaS company. Cause I think it's really interesting just the, you know, if you're, if you build, if you build an agency, like the common path is to think, oh, well, I need to build a brand because I've got all the teams and powers and everything else, or like I need to build and and so, sometimes vice versa. But what's about the change and and what are the biggest differences between operating the two different types of business models? Yeah, so the reason we started the agency is because we had a failing e-commerce brand, <laughs> um, and so yeah, like you know we had really good times with the brand and we had really bad times with the brand. Personally. I had like an incredible network that I had built up from like my freelancing days of people seeing us like scale this e-commerce business with Facebook ads. So a lot of people were reaching out being like, will you do this for us? And we're like, yeah, like we're barely profiting with the fucking e-commerce brand. So like we'll take the five grand or 10 grand a month. Like that sounded really good. I, I wouldn't want to speak too much about the differences between operating a service-based business versus a software business. But I think I was incredibly horrible at operating the service-based business. I really just like making things like, you know, like. The business partner I had at the time was more on the media buying front. I really loved just like scheduling the productions, you know, um, scripting and doing all of that kind of stuff. And so 
I was very much like doing sales and kind of content and things like that. And I, and we didn't run that business well. Like I think we made a ton of mistakes. The biggest difference I'll say just from like going from making things for clients to now a lot of my time is like making things you it's for customers is there's an incredible amount of anxiety when creating something for a customer. Whereas like, I don't necessarily know if that translates when making things for clients. Like when you can fully scope out something, like these are the deliverables. If we deliver on this, you'll be happy. It's like a very clear roadmap. And obviously client expectations change and like that's a whole other thing to deal with. But at the starting gate, there's not a ton of anxiety. And and I think that the you understand what success is very clearly often, I think with clients, as long as your communication is good. When you're building stuff for customers, it's like a lot more gray and a lot more murky. And so like personally, I have a lot more anxiety around what should we be working on like what, and there's just like that, it seems like there's just like a lot more upfront on the decision-making side of things, but the back end of it for me is like a lot more rewarding. So it's, it's definitely, I definitely enjoy it. Well, I guess part of that is as a SaaS solution, you're constantly having to think, what do they need that they don't know they need within our platform to make our platform even more valuable and sticky to them? Although I'm, I'm sure you get feedback from your current customers around what people are looking for. But yeah, it's a really good kind of distinction because clients, like you scope it out. Okay, we're going to do this for you, this for you, this for you. Does it look good? Yes. Whereas you're hedging some bets on, well, what do we think is going to deliver the most value and keep people engaged in, in the platform? Yeah. And at the beginning, it's like even like it's a lot harder. Like it's like before you have customers to actually, like it, it's incredible actually how much customers give you feedback when you're building a software company like very detailed blooms with like documents being like, this is how we want to use it. And I'm like, wow, thanks. Like, do you want a job? Yeah. And like, that's also, also super fun. Like someone that asks for something and you can like deliver it within like a few weeks and they're like, wow, like I never thought that, that would happen. And like, that's an incredible feeling as well. I don't think I'll ever go back to doing service. Like I really enjoy making product and I'm glad I, I made the switch. You had mentioned, you asked too, like, what kind of prompted the switch was like, I always wanted a software company. Like before I was in marketing, before I was in anything like that, like the founders that I would listen to speak the most were software founders. And those are the people I looked up to. And I personally have just like, when I find a tool I love, like, I'm like, wow, this is amazing that someone created this and I use it every day. And I always just wanted to do that. So that's great. Well, congrats. You're doing it. <laughs> that is doing it. You mentioned a little bit in the, in the intro, you know, what four players really solving for. Double, double back on that, like what problems or solutions is, is Paul Play trying to like solve for and provide? First, the core is like centralizing your entire team around your ad creative pipeline. So ideas that you're generating. Something that's like interesting about the performance marketing space is like most of the time a new ad idea starts with something you saw, whether it's like a direct rip or it's like, oh, like, you know, if I'm running like a cookware business, I saw something that like an like an iPhone ad that that's super cool. Like the way that they, you know, like it always starts from like a piece of inspiration, like most creative things do. And so centralizing the volume of creative inspiration that happens with performance marketing. So we help you do that. So you can save ads from Facebook ad library forever. Uh, you can save ads from like TikTok and all the other platforms, put them into boards. It's like Pinterest, but for ad creative. Like right now, most brands and agencies are like, they have a Slack channel where they're sending ideas or like a group chat. All that shit gets lost. You can't filter it and you can't like operationalize it to send a client. So that's one piece. The other piece, and then on the back of that, when we reach critical mass, you know, we have thousands of people saving thousands of ads a day. Let's like, okay, let's show other people what other people are saving. And so we've created, you know, like the largest community curated ad library in the world, over half a million ads, grows at 5,000 ads a day. Um, and people, 
use that to find inspiration outside of the traditional methods. The final piece is on the briefing and actually operationalizing what ad inspiration, what the next step is, which is writing a brief, sending it to someone who actually can create the asset. And so we make the, the easiest way to take a piece of ad inspiration, turn it into an action brief to send off to someone to create, collect assets directly on that brief, and then start running them into platforms. We're very much focused on that pre-production side of things right now, and like a little bit of the post-production, because I think that that's where there's so much disjointed sort of like workflows hacked together things right now. And it's actually like such a core part. Like one great ad idea could result in, you know, the next winning ad that like scales for 400 days for you. And so making sure that nothing, nothing, none of those things fall through the cracks, making sure that it gets operationalized amongst the creative team um, is what we're really trying to focus on. And did, did you identify this as like a problem because of your own pain points or was it assessing kind of like, you know, cause like you said, you've got a good network, you're involved in like, you know, you're within the community. So is it something you've heard as a pain point or was it a pain point you personally had yourself? No, when we had, when we had the agency, we would, I do this call every Friday, we called it four play Fridays, but that was the name of the agency. And, um, yeah, the, everybody had to bring five new pieces of ad creative ideas. And like some people put them in like slide decks and the videos went in play. Some people put them just like in Slack and then like share their screen and like played them. And then after that call on Friday by Monday, nothing happened with any of those ideas most of the time. And so it was like more than anything, I wanted to just be able to like save ads on Facebook ad library for our team and like just like put them into boards. It was very much like I want Pinterest, but for Facebook ad library. And so when I decided to stop doing the agency and work on software, I had more than just that idea. Like one of them was like a curated ad library, which like I've seen some people do, but I found that that was kind of like, it wasn't software. It was just like almost like an info product. So I'd, I played around that for a bit. I had this idea. I thought about doing like a job board. And then I had another idea for kind of like operationalizing, like specifically display ads as well, which was like, it was a super complex idea. It's like probably not much market, product market fit, but a lot of good buzzwords. And so this was the one that I was like, I want this one the most. And after like three months of tinkering, it's kind of what I fully went in on and started building. It's, it's funny as well, because you know, that classic scenario of what helps ideation within a brand or an agency. It's, it's looking outside your own, you know, your own sphere, right? Your own clients. How many agencies or brands have a similar thing of like Foreplay Friday where it's like, bring the top ads, save it in the Slack channel. I'm smiling because I know we've done that and I know we've never done anything with it. Uh, and maybe I'm doing my team a discredit because we have some amazing creative people, but like it really solves. Sounds like a small pain point in one way. But it's the it's, it's the catalyst to big gains, which is which is like something that I you know why I'm a big fan of the platform. Yeah, no, it's definitely like a small pain point, and like I think really early on when I was building the platform, the the, the original goal was just to like get it to 10k a month. Like that was all I wanted. I was like, oh, you should have whatever, and then I'll like chill out, maybe do some like freelance motion design projects on the side, and I'll have this cool little software. But what I realized in like building it is like what you were saying, like the downstream effects of making this work really, really well. And I think we do a good job of it now. We're going to get to great is yeah. It's just like when you, especially when you're talking about paid advertising, where like one great asset can mean the difference between like amazing success and amazing business growth and not, it's like a super fun problem to solve. And I, I also really love it because, because it's so simple, that means you can get really focused on the details and you can make it like a really delightful thing. Whereas I think if, when the scope of a software is so big really early on, it's really hard to build a delightful product. 
And I think we've done that up until now. And I hope you can continue to, yeah, make it better as the feature set grows. When it comes to just creative in general, right? Because, you know, we're constantly looking at this and talking with our brands around this, just internal processes, but everything else. It's like, there's the ideation stage, production stage, distribution and measurement stage. Now, obviously you have a ton of conviction that the ideation and briefing stage is like, there's a lot of opportunity to improve that. So maybe this maybe this question is asking you to to think outside of just what you're building. But like, where do you think brands and marketers struggle the most? Is it really that ideation and briefing, or is it the production and or is it the distribution and measurement? I don't want to answer the question before you have. I have my own take on that. That is probably a little bit of everything. It's a little bit of everything. The reason I like the space that we're in is because it's the one lever that you can pull really, really hard and has a tremendous amount of downstream effects in a way that might make some of those other nuances and other smaller levers completely irrelevant. Like if you just have incredible amounts of new creative to test and you're getting new winners every single week, then like this measurement really matter if like your business is growing and you're profitable, it's, the answer is no. So the place though, I think that there's a ton of pain similar and can have similar leverage is on the iteration side of things. And the problem with iteration, especially if you're doing hyper creative things, lunging the minds of creative people is that creatives don't want to do iterations. It's like the worst thing that you could ever ask them to do. And so it leads to like a lack of morale. People hate their job if they spend most of their time doing iterations. And so I think there's an incredible opportunity to help. Potentially you could do something here that makes the iteration stage not need a creative person's input. And I think that that would be great because then that means over here, they can put all of their energy and like the actual stuff that you can't buy or like you can't, you get a little bit with AI, but like, you know, it's like, it's like that a creative person's most valuable time uh, the, the, the highest density of their output happens when they're like thinking of new ideas, not necessarily like tweaking stuff based on data. Yeah, I totally agree. I echo the same thoughts. I think, I think the downstream effect of having really good ideation and briefs can help with so much of, of the production, obviously, and then the ultimate distribution and performance of it. So I totally agree. Like we, we probably spend most of our time internally around the ideation and briefing stage. Like if the creative doesn't, if the creative doesn't perform, it's tweaking ideation and briefing more so than it's tweaking production and how it's being distributed. Another thought that, you know, I really want to get your take on and, and side note, agency founder, SaaS and a brand is, is being worked on. Um, so I might have to tap you up for some, some insight, but in our ecosystem and Shopify alone, there's, um, I think it's over eight and a half thousand apps in the Shopify app store. There's a lot of duplication, right? Choice is a, is a good thing, but that's a shit ton of e-commerce focused SaaS solution products. What, what's your take on like consolidation? You know, cause like I'm, I've been in the industry for a long time and we go through these cyclic phases of loads of stuff being built, loads of consolidation, loads of stuff being built, loads of consolidation. And, and don't get me wrong. I think there's a place for so much stuff. What's your take on consolidation? And how do you see that potentially, if at all, impacting foreplay in the future? Consolidation is valuable for enterprises because it allows them to operationalize more software faster in a way that a large organization can. But consolidation is the opposite of innovation. And so I think both of them are incredibly important 
So there's like the life cycle of like adoption of like tools and tactics. Um, it's always the small brands that move quickly on new apps. And then it takes Coke or like Pepsi 20 years or 25 years to like get that tech stack once SAP or, 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 or Salesforce or someone else rolls it out, you know, like it's, that's just kind of the nature of it. Like it is just like the circle of life. I think I would always want to be working on new things rather than consolidation, just because I think it lets you be create delightful experiences for end users. It, it, it's the difference between like shopping at like a boutique store and finding something unique that really resonates with you versus like shopping at Walmart where you only need to park and you can, you can always find a parking spot. Um, you know, they take all of the different payment methods and they have everything you need and then you can go home and that, that, that tailors to it a very certain type of buyer. And that's a massive business and it's like, it should exist. And, and then all of the innovation happens on like the smaller new startups. And like, that's the most amazing thing. And like, luckily, like in a Western world, like we're allowed to do that. And like, it's like about a beautiful thing. I agree with you. And listen, the market's big enough for everybody to have a successful business and not every not every shopper is looking for the same things, um, which is good. And I think as well, like with SaaS platforms, you know, and you can get to a point where even within the singular product, you start trying to solve for everything. And I think like, especially if you built your business on the back of being really, really good at one thing, like trying to shoehorn in another service just for try, do you see what I mean? Just to try and consolidate another area becomes really challenging, like just technically challenging. I mean, I even look at some of the bigger email providers, email service providers now trying to tap into SMS. Like it makes so much sense why they would do that. I can't speak as to whether it's being particularly successful for them, but you know, even even though I think there is a push to consolidation and that suits a certain market, I guess like remaining core to a what 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 solution am I really trying to solve and does it make sense? Like actually from a product usage standpoint, it, it might make theoretical strategic sense, but does it work within my platform? Yeah. And I think like, I just went through like a big software buying cycle where we're like overhauling like our tech stack and like, it's incredibly complex in the SaaS side of things versus like Shopify about making those decisions. And I started that journey, like looking for like the one point solution because I wanted simplicity and like I, I had to like claw myself back and be like, well, no, you should just use the best thing for event tracking. You should use the best thing for email marketing. And it's annoying, but like it actually, the implementation of a lot of those things, you're like, wow, they really thought about all of the details that make it like, it's not just like a thing to check off. Like we have this, it's like, oh no, we sell at this because we have like the support of like a well thought out tool specifically for our niche, specifically for our use case. And so obviously cost expands with that, but so does quality. And so it's, it's a consistent push and pull with all of those things. And from like the act, from like a SaaS founder's point of view, you know, the funnest for me, the most fun thing is like always building a new thing. Like it's, that's always like super cool and like super rewarding. And what I've been trying to do lately is think about market expansion before I think about product expansion. I think that's a better route in most cases, but there's nuances to it. Like we've launched small little products that end up that we thought were going to just be like a little bump and they ended up being like the thing that people love the most. And so it's like, you got to like go with your gut a lot of the time. And and I think a good mix of both of like making your core product better, but also building new things. It's like, that's where you should fall. And I think more than anything, like trying to optimize for shipping new, like just shipping rather than like thinking we need to ship something new. It's like, well, you could also just improve the thing that a thousand people are doing today. And 
yeah, it's a hard, it's like one of the hardest decisions to make versus like for like building versus like improving. Yeah, I can imagine. I can imagine because I'm sure there's always things you can add and it's avoiding temptation of diluting what's core to why people are using it, right? Yeah, it's like, that's by far the worst part about it because <laughs> it's like, it sucks. Yeah, I think that's probably common in most businesses, right? Because, you know, even agency, you'll, we'll, we'll get a couple of clients a month saying, oh, do you do SEO? It's like, oh, we fucking could. <laughs> How hard would it be to just, you know, say, yeah, but it's not core to what we do. So it, it's it's always like avoiding the things like there's the potential quick buck, but is it is it going to be the thing that really gets stickiness and traction within what you're what you're building? So yeah, I I, I hear you on that. So you obviously, see, you know, from your vantage point, you obviously see a ton of ads, right? Ton of creative, a ton of stuff, and you know, again, like cyclic trends, you know, the, a big thing in the last kind of like 12 to 18 months is like UGC creator content. And, and now I'm seeing more and more and we champion more and more. It's like, you know, it's, um, it's that kind of like full spread of creative. It's not just about that. You need layers of creative, but storytelling is becoming rightfully so in my mind, more important to brands again. How do you, how do you see creative evolving and what are you seeing in the creative space? I think creative is going to evolve. I think about this a lot because you can tell like the internet's evolving in a certain way where like individual creator stories are getting told really, really well because they're optimized for that. Thinking about like YouTube creators and like TikTokers where you become like super, super connected to this like, individual. And I think that's why you've seen some of these brands built off of these people succeed so well. I think a lot more of the attention is going to start going into telling like a really cohesive brand story. And I, I'm like a little bit like hesitant to say that because it's like when agencies talking about brand story for years and it's usually like a pitch deck that they end up being the deliverable of that. But like actually thinking about if someone gets introduced to your brand, what do you want them to feel? Um, as that relationship evolves, what do they feel about you then, right? Like I, I even like think about it as like a romantic relationship, you know, like with someone that's like super hot and then you get to know them and then they also become like super insightful about this one certain area, you know, and like the way, you know, the thing you were attracted to them then isn't the thing you're attracted to now. And so like, I think, and the same thing with like building relationship with like a YouTube creator. And so I think the way creative is going to evolve is creating, like, hopefully this is a world in which I would like to live in. Like brands become a lot more personal again. And there is kind of that like understanding of how the creative that you're running is contributing to the emotions um, and the admiration that people have with your brand, not necessarily just the performance of what they feel about the product. And I think like talking about consolidation, like I think we saw this kind of like massive surges of like, all these like micro Shopify stores, like selling a, they have like one really cool widget product kind of thing. I think as D2C becomes more and more mature, we'll see some of these companies start rolling out product expansion amongst like that core group of like people. So like the people that started selling t-shirts might get into home goods. And I think the people that are going to succeed in that transition and become like household names in which um, are just like massive businesses outside of just selling like t-shirts or something like that will be the ones that can one, tell the initial story, but like maintain a, maintain that story of all of their customers and become like household names. Like at this point, like the biggest household names in D2C and, and things like that are household names of specific products, but I think that there's an opportunity to like just have these like more broader 
brands that speak for more and offer more. And, and so I think that the, and like, we just like, if you just like look at like TikTok content, it's like becoming so story focused and like the best advertisements are story focused in like the 30 second window to attach to a pain point, which like drives performance. I don't necessarily know if that drives retention. And so it's like, what does that look like after someone's bought your product and enjoyed it? Like, how do you communicate with them then? I think that's where layers of content come in, right? They might not see that next layer of content on TikTok, but they might see it on a YouTube pre-reel or, or, you know, or some other place. And I think part of it is nuanced based on, and I like what you said about like these products expanding outside of just their individual product range. It's like there are, there are utility products and it's a common argument's a strong word, but it's a common thing. And, and your perception is probably skewed based on either the brand that you're, or the product that you're selling or the types of clients maybe you're working with, but there's like, there's utility products and there's people who want to build brands. And it's like, if, if you're selling, I don't know, post-it notes, just because I saw a post-it note, like you, there's no brand story, right? You just, you, this is just eyeballs, can I get them to click through? And there's, and there's a place for that. And I think that's where you'll hear the voices of, Brand creative is a fucking waste of time. You don't need it. Just run TikTok ads all day long. You'll scale them. Right. But, but then time. also like on that post-it note thing, there's like this brand called like Ugmung who sell yeah, like- Sorry. A, yeah. Maybe a bad example yeah. then because- no, yeah. no, but I'm saying like, I'm saying like there's going to, I think I think the really successful people are going to be like the ones like Ugmung who like, they can tell the story of like, okay, they get you with like this like $200 fucking checklist paper. These, and like- I need one of these fucking things from Target going out it's like, <laughs> um, great but it's like they make like super high quality products and then they like make other things for your desk but then they also make like i think they have like some bathroom stuff that, that came out after they like you know built like their initial following around like just desk nerds and like like i just i you know i don't necessarily actually know if i have enough knowledge to talk about kind of like single skew product utility businesses but like i my gut is that you can only scale those so big if you're not like reusable so yeah, like I think like these brands that can connect with people over a lifetime or like they're, they're obviously going to be more, more more valuable. And and yeah, like I, another thing about like the kind of way creative will evolve, I think like organic and paid teams are going to become like a lot closer. Like I really don't think that there's going to be like super segregated. Agrees. So similar, similar ways, which is like creator and influencer teams and paid are becoming more synonymous. It's like, you know, you, you said you actually used the phrase of like the world I want to live in. And it's like, you know, if I think about the world I want to live in, it's, you know, it's like, it is about building brands. It is about storytelling. And then you look at these brands that do surpass kind of like short-lived high growth, right? Past a certain point, if you want to get to that level, you have to think more than just lower funnel DR creative. Like you have to, there is no avoiding it. And, it, and, and so I think, you know, I completely agree with everything you're saying. And, and you know, maybe this is like a, a lighter touch point, but it's more fun. It makes the world fucking better. Like when you can actually find it, like I, I'm obsessed with buying the best version of everything. Like that's been always like, I always say like, uh, I have like a lot of random hobbies, but like my favorite part of picking up a new hobby is like figuring out the best thing to buy for that hobby. Like I love that research process. And then I find a brand and like, I like, you know, they, they, they creep their way into other parts of my life in which like now I'm buying some of their like merch or whatever. And it's like, it's an incredibly enjoying experience that like makes my life richer when I find like really good brands. And so, yeah, like I, I think like, I hope like a lot of the reason why I didn't love dropping the shipping when I was doing it is like, I don't know, I was always just like a creative person that liked making beautiful things. And like, that's like the opposite of what dropshipping is. And so 
I always have this like long-term hope that like, oh, like as these platforms mature, like this will become just like where the most loved brands in the world will start um, and where they'll scale. And I think that's what we're seeing. And so like, I'm super happy about that. Awesome, man. So going back to foreplay then, what's the best way for someone to learn a bit more about foreplay? Obviously we'll we'll get some links into, into the podcast and the newsletter as well so people can find you guys. But I mean, I, I, the the platform for me solves such a very specific but really beneficial point of ideation and, and brief creation. So I think like you're solving something that as an agency owner, as a marketer, as a brand owner is like super valuable. Um, what's the best way for people to learn a bit more? Yeah, uh, yeah, for sure. Um, foreplay.co, CO. There's a free trial on the site. I think it's like seven days. Uh, I also, I'll create a code bite-sized as well, 15% off for three months if anyone wants to try to get it in as a part of their agency or their brand or anything like that. If you have like any recommendations or just want to like jam with like ideas, uh, I'm the most active on Twitter. My Twitter handle is foreplayzack. And, and then also just like outwardly, like if anybody's like thinking about like starting a SaaS, if you're like an agency, you know, thinking about joining us, like starting a SaaS, I love talking to people at that like ideation stage. So like, please don't hesitate to like reach out. I love talking to people about like what they're building. And um, I have some I have some stuff to share as well. So feel free to hit me up. Zach, really appreciate you being on. Really enjoyed the conversation. Love what you're building. Uh, congrats. I'm a big fan, big supporter. So really appreciate your time, dude. Oh man, I appreciate having me on. Of course.